Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Thank you so much for being here this weekend. Um, we're in a series that um, this is going to end up being a long series, like a 17-week series on the book of Romans. And we started the series back in the spring, and then we took a break through the summer, and we picked it up last week. And my wife, Kim, preached last week, and she did a great job covering Romans chapter 9. Um, and so I'll pick up in Romans chapter 10 this week. If you are one of those people who, um, who you study ahead and work ahead and all that kind of stuff, you don't procrastinate, then if you want to get ahead, you can read Romans chapter 11. That's what we'll be talking about next week. Week, and uh, we'll be finishing up this section of scripture. So um, you, get, you can get ahead, read ahead, and some of what we're talking about today will help you understand Romans chapter 11 a little better as well. So let me just give you a brief overview. The book of Romans was written as a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church at Rome, and the church at Rome was deeply divided, uh, and they were deeply divided over issues of worship because the church had Jewish and Gentile, Jewish and non-Jewish believers um, that were involved in the church, and Rome expelled the Jews from Rome um, in 49 AD. They left, and so all of a sudden, a, a big portion of the church was taken out, and really, probably the most influential portion of the church was taken out. And so when these Jewish believers came back to their home church five years later, they were shocked to find a very different church than what they left, because the style had shifted, the style had changed, the Jewish influence had left, and the Gentiles didn't really value some of the practices that the Jews had, and so all of a sudden it was different. And they came back and said, no, you're doing it wrong. You don't know what you're, you're doing it wrong, you're supposed to be doing it this way. And now there's this, this battle, this conflict in the church over how church is supposed to look and how they're supposed to worship and the style and practices. And aren't you glad churches don't deal with any of that stuff today, right? It was just in the first century church. And so Paul understands the strategic value of the Roman church, that it's not just about the singular church, but it's about the influence this church has, especially for westward expansion of the kingdom. And he says, we've got to do something about this. So he writes this letter to the Jewish and Gentile believers in the Roman church. And he spends a lot of time in Romans 1 through 8 talking about the righteousness of God. Um, and, and we won't talk much about that today. He spends a lot of time in the first half of Romans talking about the righteousness of God. And so let me just give you a working definition for the righteousness of God for the purpose of the series. The righteousness of God just means that God is right and he is always faithful to keep his promises. Because God is righteous, he will do what is right by nature. He has no option but to do what is right because he is righteous. Um, if you've ever been in conflict with God, which you probably have because you're a human, there's things that you're like, God, I think you got this one wrong. I've got bad news. God cannot get it wrong. He is incapable of getting it wrong. And so if I'm in conflict with God, it means I'm wrong because God cannot get it wrong. So something is wrong in me. Something needs to shift because God is righteous. Because he's righteous, he is right. And he is faithful to keep his promises. So if he says something, he doesn't have to promise because by virtue of him saying it, it is true. He is right. He is righteous. The, the predominant theme of the book of Romans that we see and that we continue to see even this weekend is this, that God judges sin, but he manifests mercy through Jesus. So because God is righteous, because God is holy, because God is pure, he has to judge sin. Now, it sounds like he's militant. That sounds like Old Testament God. But God from the Old Testament is still the same God today. Um, but what we see are different aspects of his mercy in the New Testament. Now, the Old Testament God is still present. He hasn't changed. Um, but what we see in the New Testament is we see grace that we didn't see uh, portrayed in a different way than we saw in the Old Testament. So God is, is, is um, militant. He is... He is judgmental, and he's a righteous judge. But it, then we see in the New Testament that he's merciful. But what we see in the book of Romans is we, 
roll all this together, that yes, he is, but he manifests his mercy through Christ Jesus. So he does judge sin because he's righteous, but he also loves us, he's benevolent. And so what he does is he gives us a way to escape the wrath of God that terminates with Jesus. So Jesus receives the wrath that was intended for us as sinners. Jesus takes that wrath and we take on the righteousness of Christ. We take on the goodness of Christ because of the work of Christ on the cross. So that mercy that God extends is extended through Jesus. So with that said, last weekend, uh, I got to watch a little bit of my wife's sermon on Saturday night. Uh, and then I was tied up with one of the churches that we partner with in Lancaster County. And I preached on Sunday there. And so then on Monday, I was back in the office and I decided to watch Kim's sermon. And Kim did a great job. And she gets to a very challenging portion of scripture in Romans chapter nine. And she said, and Mel's gonna cover this next week. <laughs> Wait a second, that's not cool. That's why I gave it to you, right? But I did tell Kim when she was going through it, she's like, how do you want me to handle this? And I was like, you know what, just say, cover whatever you wanna cover and then just say, I'll leave the rest for me. And she's like, okay, and she did. So, um, so <laughs> I'm just joking. Uh, don't hurt me later. So I do want to cover a portion of what she talked about last week. So last weekend, if you weren't here, we walked through Romans chapter 9. In Romans chapter 9, um, it is, it's an important passage of Scripture historically for the church. Uh, and what we see in Romans chapter 9, I'm just at a broad overview level, um, what Paul talks about is how God is sovereign and God in his sovereignty chooses some and he dismisses others. He chooses some and blesses some and he doesn't bless others. And the implication is that he chooses people for salvation and he rejects people for salvation. That God, um, before time, picks people. People are born that he already knows. They will choose me and he... he predestines people to not choose him. That's the implication. So this is a sensitive topic and I wanna walk through it as, as gently as I possibly can. Um, so in, in layman's terms, there's a doctrine called what we would just call predestination in conversations and maybe you've heard of that. It's called the doctrine of election. And what that means is generally speaking that God predestines people to heaven and predestines people to hell. That um, generally speaking, that is what is going to happen. So let me help you with this. Here at Summit, <clears throat> I believe, and we believe corporately, doctrinally, in free will. We believe that in his sovereignty, God has allowed his chosen, his, his creation to choose. He allows humanity to choose Christ or not choose Christ. So um, let me give you a, a, a crude illustration. In my home, I am the boss. Now, of course, my wife and I, we are parents together. We, are, we lead together. But um, I have the final say on, on a lot of issues in our home. But I don't care what my girls wear for the most part to school, right? Like, I don't say, you will do this and you will do that. This is what you're eating today. I don't control that stuff. I don't need to control that stuff. I, if I can use these words, I'm sovereign in my home, but I allow them to make decisions about certain things. And I believe in the same way, our God is sovereign and he can make decisions. He can do whatever he wants to do. He has the power to do that, but he allows us to make decisions. He allows us to make choices. Um, so with that said, nothing is a surprise to God. God is not shocked at, at who is going to win the Steelers game today. And judging by how the way things have been going, it's probably not the Steelers, let's be honest. <laughs> Sorry, Steelers fans, right? God is not surprised when someone chooses him or doesn't choose him. He, he knows because he's God. Not only does he know what's going to happen, let me help you with this, God exists outside of time, so God is already in the future. God is present in the future right now. So he knows because he's there already. So God knows what's going to happen, but the question is, does he predestine it? Does he make that happen? Do we have a choice? Do we have free will? And I, I choose to believe we do. Now, Romans chapter nine is... 
for a lot of people who believe in predestination or the doctrinal election, this is the proof text. They will refer to this and be like, there it is. This is it. But I, I, wanna, I wanna give you a glimpse into some of my understanding about this. So Romans chapter nine, uh, and by virtually any standard until you get to uh, Augustine, historically, everyone interpreted that passage of scripture a certain way, and it's the way that I choose to interpret Romans 9. See, people who believe in predestination will typically say Romans chapter 9 is dealing with the individual and it's dealing with salvation. But the more, the more historically accurate view of Romans 9 is that it's dealing with nations and service. So uh, remember what the context is. Remember what Paul's doing. He's writing to Jewish believers in the church and he's writing to Gentile believers in the church. And when you look at Romans chapter nine, he's talking about ch people he chooses and people he chooses, decides not to choose. And Paul's talking directly to Jewish believers. And he says, you understand what it means to be chosen. And God can choose who he wants to choose and he can choose not to choose them as well. It is up to God. God is sovereign is what he's saying. And it seems to be that the context for Romans chapter nine, going into Romans chapter 10 and Romans chapter 11, contextually he's talking about the nation of Israel and not really talking specifically about individual believers. Um, so, so I wanted to help you understand this a little better. Um, and I, wanna, I just wanna read one quote from John Wesley. John Wesley is the like, father of... Um, the Methodist church, the Wesleyan church, even our church has distant roots into Wesleyanism. Um, and so John Wesley was an ardent opponent to predestination in the doctrine of election. And this is what he said on this idea in a sermon he preached called On Free Grace. He said this, whatever that scripture, talking about Romans 9, proves, it can never prove this. Whatever its true meaning be, this cannot be its true meaning. No scripture can mean that God is not love or that his mercy is not over all his works. That is, whatever it proves beside, no scripture can prove predestination. Um, if you're interested, and, and this, is, this is a very, very, very high level approach to this. Like we can get in the weeds if this is something you're interested in, but judging by the glazed over looks in a lot of your eyes, <laughs> I'm guessing that a lot of you are like, just, just get to the good stuff, all right? Just move on to the good stuff. Um, so there is, there is a, an author I would suggest if you wanna look more into this, um, his, um, his name's Dr. Roger Olson. And Dr. Olson um, is one of the leading theologians in this area, in the world. Um, and he also is a family friend of our Blairsville campus pastor, Colin McKnight. So Colin, Pastor Colin has known uh, Roger and his family for a long, long time. And, uh, and Roger has written some incredible books that can help you understand this idea a little bit better. Um, and so if you're interested, you can do a deep dive on it there. You can find his stuff on Amazon and uh, just do it after service. We're getting into the preaching now. So I just finished Kim's message. Now I'm getting into my message today. So, so let me jump into Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verse one. And with everything we just talked about, that is what we're bringing into today. So he says this, dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. He said, I'm not judging Israel I'm not judging the Jews, but my heart is for you and for you to be saved, for you to know salvation. He says, I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it's misdirected zeal. For they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept, accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. He said they're trying to make God happy with their performance. That, hey, we're gonna do these things and then I'll be acceptable to God. Um, and he goes on to say this. He says in Romans chapter 10, verse five, for Moses writes that the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all its commands. But faith's way of getting right with God says, don't say in your heart, who will go up to heaven to bring Christ down to earth? And don't say, who will go down to the place of the dead and bring Christ back to life again? In fact, it says, and then he quotes Deuteronomy, he says, the message is very close at hand. It's on your lips and in your heart. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. So a couple of things I want to point out. The first thing is this. He says, hey, 
The way of being right with God is not the way that Jewish people associate. The Jewish people are associating good behavior. I'm going to keep the law, and then I'm made right with God. I'm going to do everything he asked me to do, and then I will be attractive to God. And then he says, that's not what we have to do at all. Christ has already done the work. He's saying, we don't have to go to heaven to find him. We don't have to go to hell to find him. We don't have to go and bring him to us. He's looking for us. That is the difference in the Old Testament way of viewing things, the New Testament way of viewing things. The new covenant says, hey, God has left heaven to find us. He is looking for us. You don't have to search for God because all you really have to do is turn from your running and you will find God because he is looking for you. That's the God we serve. And this is the idea that Paul's trying to get across to the Jewish believers, that, that Jesus has done the work, that we don't have to effort, we don't have to strive to please him, to make him happy, because we make him happy when we come to faith in Christ. And the good works that we do are produced from that relationship with Jesus. He, I mentioned that he quotes Deuteronomy here. Now this is brilliant on Paul's part, because remember what he's doing. He's writing to Jewish believers. He's trying to help them understand a way of thinking. And because he's writing to Jewish believers, he quotes the Old Testament a lot in Romans chapter 10. He quotes the law and the prophets in Romans chapter 10. So he's making a case, and, and uh, this is one of my favorite things. Whenever I'm talking to my wife just during the week, and she'll say, well, didn't you say in your sermon? And I'm like, don't use my words against me. I'm like, that's not fair, right? I don't like that. It's even worse when my girls do that. Well, dad, you always say, I'm like, you shut your mouth. I'm like, you can't do that. And this is what Paul's doing. He's saying, hey, I just want to remind you what the law and the prophets have said on this. The, the word that you esteem, this is what the Old Testament says. So I just want to remind you of that. And this is what he's doing. So he reminds them in the book of Deuteronomy. He reads it. And so this is what it said. It said, the message is very close at hand. He said, the message is nearer to you than what you realize it is. It's on your lips and in your heart. And that message is the message about faith that we preach. And this is a prophetic word from the word of the book of Deuteronomy, and he's just saying, hey, this message is here. It is near you. You don't have to go look for God. God is nearer than what you realize he is. He is near where you are. And he uses the word here for message. And in the Greek, it's uh, rhema is the word. And this is what it means. That which is or has been uttered by the living voice, a thing spoken word, subject matter or speech, Things spoken of. So most of the time, this word rhema, um, it, it can be used in a common way that it's just the word. So if I speak to you, it is the words that are spoken out of my mouth, it's a rhema. But it can be used in a more, uh, a more divine context that this is also used, a word used when God speaks to his people. God speaks, it's his audible voice to us. So I don't know if you've ever felt like God spoke to you. Maybe you felt like it was an audible word or maybe you just sensed it in your heart. But like you felt like, man, God is saying this to my life, to my heart. That is the rhema word. God is speaking to you. And we'll get more into that in just a minute. In Romans chapter 10, verse nine says this. And this is the most quoted verse in our church. It says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The one I usually quote is the English Standard Version. It says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you shall be saved. Almost every service, at the end of the service, I will quote that, that verse as we're doing our invitation. Um, and this is powerful. This is important. Because what Paul is laying out is this understanding that we believe in our heart. And this isn't a problem for, for many people. Many people will go, okay, God, I believe that you are God. Jesus, I believe that you are Lord. But it's the first part that's harder. It's the openly declaring, confessing with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. Because it's not just the prayer we pray to accept Jesus for salvation. It's more than that. This word openly declare or confess with your mouth. In the Greek, it's a, it's a word, it's homologeo. And homologeo, it means to say the same thing as another, to agree with or assent to concede, to profess, to praise or celebrate. A couple of things I want to point out. Um, it, it means to confess, and it also means to profess. And there's overlap in these definitions, but they're not exactly the same. The other one that is interesting is to say the same thing as another. 
to say the same thing as another. So let me explain this to you. Um, do, do any of you like crime dramas like Law and Order? Law, yes, no, nobody watches those shows? Okay, some of you, yeah. You're like, reluctantly, okay, I do. If I would have been like, does anybody watch uh, Dateline NBC? Uh, like, that's a little more concerning. Like, if your wife watches a lot of Dateline NBC, you might be concerned for your life. Like, she's figured out ways to kill you, okay? I'm just warning you. But I like crime dramas, um, and I like the courtroom scenes. Like, there's a lot of drama in the courtroom scenes, but I really like the room when they have them in the holding, or in, the, like, the cell where they're, like, confess. Like, okay, you know the room, right? It's the light hanging down. It's a dark room. There's the one-way glass where it's, it looks like a mirror, but you know it's not. It's a room full of detectives in there. And the guy walks in, the, the accused is sitting there, and they walk in, and the, the good cop walks in and goes, hey, how about a soda? And then the bad cop walks in and goes, he doesn't need a soda, right? <laughs> no soda for you, buddy, till you spill it. Where's the body? We know you did it. You know how this goes, right? And they say it. You did it. We know you did it. We've got the goods. And finally, they break them. And finally, the guy's like, fine, I did it. I did it. He confesses. And do you know what he's saying? He's saying the same thing you're saying, I'm saying. Does that make sense? This is the homologeo. The same thing you're saying, I'm saying. I'm confessing that I did it. Yes, I'm confessing that I perpetrated that act. I'm confessing to what you're saying I'm confessing to. Now, the other aspect of homologeo is profession. So confession is in the face of others. So someone will say something and you'll say, I'm in agreement with you. I, I'm saying what you're saying. And then a profession is saying something when no one is in agreement with you necessarily, in spite of what others are saying. And these things are really, really important to do. It's important for us as believers to make a profession of our faith. Whether people around us agree with us or not, it's important for us to publicly say, declare what we believe. And we're gonna see this played out over these next few verses. So it's not enough just to believe in our heart. We have to declare this homo logeo. Verse 10 says this, for it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and by openly, declaring with your, by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. As the scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. So then he explains it and he says, it's by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. We're reconciled to God through our faith. And then he says, but you're saved by openly declaring your faith. So, Here's the way I'd like to explain this to you. Um, I don't think we're saved when we declare Jesus is Lord. I don't think that's necessarily the specific here. And we could get into some of the language of the specific verse. But I will say if somebody is unwilling to say and declare publicly that Jesus is Lord, I'm not sure they're saved. If someone is unwilling to share their faith, I'm, I'm not sure their faith is authentic. And I'm just going to get into your business and there's no condemnation because I know this is hard. We've got baptisms coming up in a few weeks. And I would love for you to be part of our baptisms. Because our baptisms is, are an opportunity for us to make a public declaration of what God is doing in our heart. We believe in our heart. Now we're declaring with our lives, with our words, what God is doing. And, and you don't have to do a video in order to be baptized. So I'm going to say that. You don't have to do a video. But, but here's the thing. If you can't share with the church about your faith, why would you think you're going to share with your coworkers about your faith? Or your neighbor about your faith? Or people that are opposed to the gospel? This is the safest place to share your testimony to share what God has done with people who believe like you believe. It's a confession. I'm saying what you're saying, right? So if we can't do that in this place, what makes us think we're gonna do it in public? And our word is important. The, the, the word we speak is important. The, 
The rhema word that comes out of us, the declaration is really important. In Revelation chapter 12, prophetically, the, John the Revelator has got a prophetic word, a vision about the future, and he's got this vision for end time events, and uh, he sees this vision that, that Christians will conquer Satan. And, and very specifically, he says this in Revelation 12, 11, and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. They were willing to confess their faith in spite of the consequences, in spite of death, imminent death in their own lives. They were willing to do it. And they overcome Satan. How do we overcome Satan? By the blood of the lamb. This is a no-brainer, right? Jesus, he paid the price for us on the cross. His blood atones for our sins. The blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, the word, the, the word that goes forth. Now, it's interesting because the word here is a little different. The word here in the Greek is, uh, um, it still can mean spoken word, and this is what it means in this context, but it's logos. And logos is different than rhema. Um, they have two different interpretations, and, and broadly speaking, they have two different values. Um, so let me get into Lagos in just a second. So he says the word of their testimony. Testimony here is uh, martyria in the Greek, and it means testifying. One who speaks before a judge, the testimony we give of our experience it is the word of their testimony. Martyria is where we get the word martyr today. That it might cost us our lives when we share our faith, but it's worth it. So let me go back to Lagos for a second. Uh, Lagos in scripture is the word that is used uh, for the general revelation of God. This is, this is what the word of God would be to us. The Bible would be Lagos for us. It would be the, the general revelation of God's character, nature, and will. That we can know God better when we know the Bible, the word of God. Now, I wanna remind you, back in John chapter one, verse one, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. Now, this is the word logos here in John chapter one, and it is not talking about your Bible that you carried to church today. It is talking about the living word of God, which is Jesus, because remember what logos is, it's the revelation of who God is. So the Bible is a revelation to us of, of who God is, but Jesus was a great revelation of who God is. Jesus said, if you know me, you know God. Why? Because Jesus was the incarnate revelation of who God is. So Lagos is the broad understanding, broad, generally speaking, word of God for us. Now, in specific instances, it can mean just a word spoken, but typically when we see this, it means a revelation of who God is. Now, the word we mentioned earlier is rhema, and rhema can be in a, in a common context, just a word that's spoken between friends or between people, just the, the noise that comes out of my mouth, that's rhema. But for, on a divine level, it's also the word of God to us, God speaking to us, that what I mentioned earlier, like God spoke to my heart and I feel like this is the case, that's rhema word. That is not broad revelation of God, that is a specific revelation for you. So here at Summit, we believe in the gifts of the Spirit. I believe that God can speak to you to deliver a word to somebody else that he wants them to hear. Um, we believe in, if it talks about it in, in Corinthians, we probably believe it. It's for us today. And so I believe that God can give us words for our lives, for others, and this is a rhema word. So let me explain the difference between rhema and logos. Um, logos would be a body. Rhema would be a part of that body. Lagos would be a well, and Rhema would be a bucket that dips water from that well. Um, Lagos would be a, a piano, and Rhema would be a key on the keyboard of that piano. So there's a difference, but Rhema always supports Lagos. Um, there's a, a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 I want to share with you. And this is a, a different context, but this principle is true. So Paul is defending himself to the church at Corinth. They had gotten sideways. They had started believing some false teachers, and he was getting a little frustrated with them. And um, there were some allegations about what he was teaching or not teaching, some things like that. 
And in 2 Corinthians 13, 1, this is what he says. This is the third time I'm coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses is what he says. So what he's saying is one person's word is not enough. You need a couple of witnesses to verify a charge. And the word charge here is the word rhema. Now, this is the more common context for rhema. This is not a divine word rhema kind of thing. But the principle is true today, that if you get a word from God, um, if you feel like, man, God has spoken this to me, it needs to line up with the logos. The rhema word has to line up with the logos word. So if you get a word from God and it is contrary to what the Bible says or it's contrary to the character or nature or will of God or Jesus, then it is not a word from God. It is not really rhema. It is, it is a bad day or you ate the wrong food or something else, but it is not a word from God. Um, <laughs> I've had people that have said, hey, God spoke to me and it clearly was not God speaking to them because it didn't line up with scripture. I had somebody tell me one time, they said, God spoke to me and told me to divorce my spouse. I was like, really? Let's talk about that for a minute. I said, is there, is there any like infidelity? No. Is there any abuse? No. Is there any biblical reason for you to divorce your spouse? Well, God told me to. Like, well, he, he didn't. <laughs> he didn't. And the reason I know that is because in scripture, Jesus forbids divorce, right? Like there's some specific circumstances that allow it, but, but that's not the case here. And do you know why I know God's not speaking to you? Is because God's not schizophrenic, right? God doesn't have a hard time making up his mind. So I know that God didn't speak to you. But what they were doing is they were taking what they felt and they were elevating that and going, this must be true. And this is how cults are started, by the way, Right? We, we take one thing and we elevate it and we don't care if it matches up in context and understanding. And we've got to be really careful that we don't elevate a rhema word over a place that it should, that it needs to line up with the word of God. It needs to line up with Jesus. It needs to line up with godly authority in our lives. If God speaks to you and, and there is godly authority established in your life that you're like, nope, you're wrong. Like, okay, well, God has put them in your life for a reason. And I'm not saying you have to clear every decision in your life through me as your pastor. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm just saying, if your small group leader or somebody you trust spiritually who's more mature than you um, says, hey, I don't know about that. That should be a check to us that maybe this isn't good. Maybe this isn't the word of God speaking to me. Let me move on. Verse 12. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Again, he's quoting Joel, the prophet Joel, chapter 2 here. And he says, he says, hey, yes, Jewish people, you are chosen by God. But guess what? Um, God loves Gentiles as well. And, and you should love them because God loves them. And then he says, all who call, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 14, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless somebody tells them? And how will, they, how will anyone go and tell them without being sent. And this is why scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. This is why it's so important for us as a church that we send people. We send missionaries and missions teams, um, world reach teams all over the world. Uh, why? Because we're sending people. They're carrying the good news to people. They're carrying the gospel to people. They're, they're, carrying, they're carrying cold water to people who are dying of thirst. This is important. I've, I've never known somebody who's, actually, I've never known somebody dying of thirst, but I can't imagine somebody who was dying of thirst if you brought them a, water, a glass of water would be like, ooh, that cup looks dirty. No, thank you. Right? They do not care what the vessel looks like. They want what's in the vessel. And when, when Paul says here, how beautiful are the feet of those who carry the good news. I don't know about you. I don't like feet. I think they're gross for the most part. Um, they are utilitarian. They are not for looking at. They are just for getting around, okay? That's why you will never see me in flip-flops or sandals up here on this platform because I don't need you looking at my toes. They're, they look weird, okay? I gotcha. I think relatively speaking, as far as feet go, my feet are okay. I don't think they're that bad. 
But feet are not pretty to me. And I, I was going to share with you, and I'm not, I'm, I, I decided not to. I was going to share with you. I've got this picture that I found on the internet, and I found it years ago. And it's the most horrific feat you've ever seen in your entire life. It is genuinely disturbing. Like, it's, it's disconcerting. When you see it, you would be uncomfortable. And if I showed it to you this weekend, it, was all, it would be all you would remember from the weekend. You would probably be talking to your therapist about it tomorrow, as a matter of fact. Like, you wouldn't be able to extricate it from your mind. It's that bad. Once in a while, I'll just send it to somebody randomly, just without any explanation. I'll just send them that picture, and I love to see their responses. There was one time we were sitting in an airport, and you know on, on Apple you can do airdrop to people if their wireless is open? <laughs> and I've airdropped it to people, and just to see, like, you know, I wonder where they're at. And you do it, and then you see somebody go, Good Lord! Or, you know, like, oh my gosh! <laughs> They're horrible! These feet are terrible! And I'm not even exaggerating. This is what Paul's saying. That ugly things become beautiful when they're used for God's purposes. As terrible as those feet are, they're beautiful because they're carrying the word of God. It's that dirty glass that's carrying cold water. See, common things become uncommon when they're used for God's purposes. Ordinary things become extraordinary when they're used for God's purposes. And you might think, I'm normal, I'm ordinary, I'm not special, I can't preach, I can't sing, I can't be used. Yes, you can. Because ordinary things become extraordinary. Ugly things become beautiful when they're used for God's purpose. One of the greatest purposes for your life is not just to be nice or get to heaven. One of the greatest purposes for your life as ordained by God is to carry the good news to the people in your life. And do you know how that can happen? See, some of you think, well, I can't be used in ministry because I can't pastor a church. Do you know more ministry happens in our lobby than on this platform? More ministry happens in the parking lot. More ministry happens in your workplace, or it can. More ministry happens in your home, it should. You can minister. You can carry light and life to people who need it. How beautiful are the feet of those messengers who carry the good news. You can do it. God wants you to. Verse 16, not everyone who welcomes the good news I'm sorry, not everyone welcomes the good news. For Isaiah the prophet said, Lord, who has believed our message? Again, he keeps quoting the Old Testament, right? He's driving this point home to the Jewish believers. But he says, it's our job to carry the gospel to people. Remember what I said a few weeks ago. It's Jesus' job to save people. It's my job to reach people. It's your job to reach people. That Some of them are gonna reject Christ. That's not your job to get them to accept Christ. It's your job to present Christ. It's not your job to make them drink the water. It's your job to carry the water to them and let them make a decision. Verse 17, so faith comes from hearing, that is hearing the good news about Christ. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. Faith, our faith is built up, our faith is developed, our faith is strengthened when we hear the word of God. Now, I want to help you with this. This is not just the preaching of the word. I think that's very valuable and is very helpful. But our faith is developed not just in this kind of hearing, um, but in the context of a group. See, when you hear the word of God, not just preached, but people are edifying the word of God, people are talking about how their lives are changed by Jesus in the context of friendships and relationships. It is amazing how our faith is built. It is amazing how we grow. It is amazing how we believe more deeply just because we hear our friends going, man, look at what God has done in my life. Yeah, go God, right? Like, yeah, you just feel better. It's important for us to be in godly community. It's important for your kids. Some of you say, man, I want my kids to know Jesus. I want my kids' faith to be strong. But the problem is we want their throwing arm to be stronger. Or we want their physical stamina on the track to be stronger. Or we... We want them to know Jesus, but, but we really want them to be able to hit the upper 90 in hockey. If they can just hit that top corner, man, they're going to be special. We want them to do all this stuff, and it, sometimes it conflicts with them being in the presence in the Word of God. 
As, when I was a youth pastor years ago, I would have people that would bring their 16 or 17 or 18 year olds to me. And they'd be like, man, they're a mess. Can you help me? I'd be like, well, I'll try, but I, I probably should have had them when they were 12. Like, I wish you'd have been bringing them to me when they were 12 and I could have helped them. Some of you have 12 year olds. You're like, man, my 12 year old's a mess. Can you fix them? Can you help them? And, and Gil, our youth pastor, they're gonna do their best, but it probably would have been better if you'd brought them when they were four. Some of you that have them when they're four, you're like, I've tried to drop them off and they won't go to kids' church, right? Let me, let me, let me gently rebuke you in this way. You're the grown-ups. You get to decide if they go to kids' church or if they go to youth or if they come to church. You get to decide. It might be a conflict, but it's a conflict worth having. Do you know why I believe that? Because faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. You want your kids' faith to be strong? Get the word of God in them. Not just on the weekend, in your house. Minister to your kids the word of God. Share what God is doing in your life with your kids and see their faith develop and their faith grow. The word here that we see for word, the word of God, it's rhema again. Rhema. It's not just the preaching of the word. It's not just the context of church. Man, there's something powerful about hearing the voice of God in your life, right? Like when God speaks to you and you know it's God, it's like, wow. It's life-giving. It builds your faith. Would you endeavor to be a parent or a grandparent that helps your kids hear the voice of God? To build their faith? To put them in positions and in communities and in atmospheres where they can hear the voice of God? Maybe that's kids' church. Because that's one thing Christina and Katie do at both of our locations. They do a great job of putting kids in position to hear the voice of God. Because faith comes from hearing the word, the voice of God. Verse 18. I love how Paul finishes off because literally every verse for the rest of this chapter, it's all, he's quoting scripture from the Old Testament. He's just driving this home to these Jewish believers. He asks this, he says, but I ask, have the people of Israel actually heard the message? Yes, they have. The message has gone throughout the earth and the words to all the world. I mean, he quotes Psalm 19.4. And the word he uses here uh, for message, the message has gone throughout all the earth. It's, it's a interesting word. It's only used a couple times in scripture and it has an implication of a song. So when it says message, um, you can interpret it as the, the song that God is singing or the song that God is playing is being played throughout all the earth. And, and I don't know about you. Have you ever been, have you ever been somewhere? Maybe you were sitting in your office and you could hear somebody was playing music from their office or their cubicle or whatever, and you could kind of hear the music. And even if you didn't necessarily like the music or know the song, like it's easy to start bobbing your head a little bit or start tapping your toe a little bit. Because Gloria Estefan was right. The rhythm is going to get you, right? Just something about it. There was a, a family that was walking into church last night, and, um, and it was a couple that have kids that are out of the house. They're, they're older, and um, something happened, and his phone started playing like Kanye West. And you knew for sure that was not intended because it took a couple minutes for him to figure out how to shut off his phone and keep it from playing Kanye West. But in the meantime, while they were struggling with it, I was just kind of bobbing my head, and it wasn't intentional. It was just like, I don't even know this song, but the rhythm, like the music, right? Like there was something attractive about it. But something in me was captured by it. And this is what I want you to know. God is singing a song to the earth that is attractive. That there are people that are lost, that don't even realize they're lost, that they're, they're bobbing their head. That they're tapping their toe to the beat. There's something about it that's drawing them in because God is singing this song. He's playing this song for us. He's attracting us. He's drawing us to himself. And Paul asked the question, have, have you heard the message? Have you heard it? And the answer is yes, we've heard the message because all of us, there's a longing in every human for God. And he goes to verse 19, but I ask, did the people of Israel really understand? Yes, they did. For even in the times of Moses, God said, I will rouse your jealousy through people who are not even a nation. I will provoke your anger through the foolishness of Gentiles. Again, he quotes Deuteronomy. 
Verse 20, and later Isaiah spoke boldly for God saying, I was found by people who were not looking for me. I showed myself to those who were not asking for me. Verse 21, but regarding Israel, God said, all day long I opened my arms to them, but they were disobedient and rebellious. So again, he's speaking to Israel and he says, Israel, Jewish believers, God has thrown open his arms for you. He wants nothing more than relationship with you through Jesus Christ. But you've rejected him because you don't like the form. And he said, but he has relationships with people that he wasn't even looking for. They found him and they weren't even looking for him. And I really believe it goes back to what we mentioned earlier. There was this song, something drew us, something drew you today to church. Something drew you to God. Some of you can't even explain it. Maybe some of you aren't even in relationship, but there's something in you. There's a longing in you for more than what you're currently experiencing. See, the beauty of our God is that he doesn't expect us to come to him. He has come to us. He has shown up in this place right now waiting to meet with you, waiting to know you, waiting for you to know him. That's what he wants. That's his desire. And for those of you that do know him, his desire for you is to love lost people. Just like there is this this call for the Jewish people to love Gentiles the way God does. There, There should be an understanding that if we are believers, if we're followers of Jesus, we should love lost people the way Jesus loves lost people. And so the the challenge is really simple. If you're a follower of Jesus, get busy loving lost people. Get busy sharing what God has done in your life. Confessing with your mouth to the people around you that Jesus is Lord. Tell them how good God is. Show them. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, today's your day. God is here with arms wide open, ready to greet you and receive you, adopt you as a son or daughter. That's his desire. That's what he wants for you. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Colin in Blairsville. He's going to close out our time together. He's going to give you a chance to respond. I love you guys more than you know, and I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. So today it's pretty straightforward. I think as I closed out with Blairsville, you probably know where you stand. I probably don't need to point out, hey, here's what you need to do. Here's how it needs to happen. I think the Holy Spirit's probably speaking to you right now. So I don't need to belabor this. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, you're not in a relationship with God, maybe you're very religious, maybe you're like the Jews in the Roman church where you're very religious. But your religious spirit is gonna keep you from really knowing God. I don't want that to happen. And just like Paul said, my desire is for the Jews to know God. It's my desire that everybody in this place, everybody in our community, in our region, in our county knows God. I want you to know God. I don't want you to leave here today apart from him. Maybe you're here today and you recognize, you go, man, I I know I'm going to heaven. I'm just gonna say it this way, but I'm too immature in my faith to care about lost people. I'm too selfish. And if you're having that realization today, you need to ask God to help you. You you need to endeavor to say, God, whatever you need to do in my heart, I want you to do, because I'm not gonna stay where I'm at. That's my challenge to you today. So if you don't know Jesus, if you're not walking with him in relationship with him, I'm not gonna embarrass you, I just wanna pray with you. And I wanna invite you to pray a prayer with me. So if you would bow your head and close your eyes all over this place. God, take these next few minutes and I pray that you would move in it. I pray that you would draw us to you. God, I pray that you would attune our ears to your song, to your call and to your invitation. I I pray today that we would take this challenge seriously, that there wouldn't be a believer in this house that would walk out of here feeling apathetic or indifferent about lost people. God, I pray as a church corporately and as individuals, God, we would have a greater desire to reach people for you than ever before. So God, speak into our hearts, move in us, change us. And for those that don't know you, let today be the day of surrender. Let today be the day that we're adopted as sons or daughters into your kingdom. 
So God, speak in these next few moments. No, nobody's looking around. If you're here today and you'd say, Mel, I'm not really serving God, but I know I need to be, I wanna be, I wanna surrender my life to Christ today. I'm not gonna make you come forward or embarrass you. I just wanna pray for you. And if you wanna be included in that prayer, would you put your hand up real high where I can see it? You can put it right back down. Yeah, thank you. A couple of hands in the center section. Who else? Let's say, Mel, include me in that prayer. I wanna surrender my life to Christ today. Yeah, thank you, ma'am. I see you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Who else? Just a few more seconds would say, Mel, include me in that prayer. That's me. All right. We read this verse today, Romans 10, 9. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So we're gonna pray a prayer together out loud, all of us. We're gonna confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. But I want you to pray from your heart. I want you to believe in your heart that, that God raised him from the dead, that he is who he said he is. Whether you raised your hand or not, we're gonna say this prayer together. So pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus, your only son, to pay the price for my sins on the cross. From this day forward, my life is yours. Use me for your glory. I'm never going back to my old ways or my old life, but from now on, I am yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, come on, let's give God a round of applause. Listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, whether you raise your hand or not, scripture says you're a new creation. And we wanna help you take the next step in your faith journey. So the simplest thing for you to do, if you, if you prayed that prayer with us and you meant it, is to do one of two things. You can either fill out the card that's in the seat back in front of you, and then just take it to our info center, give it to them. They're gonna give you a Bible today, and they're gonna get you connected. And the next couple of days, one of our teams is gonna reach out to you and help you take the next step. Or if you'd prefer, if you're watching online or here in the room and you prefer to, you can simply text Summit PA to the number 94000. Summit PA to 94,000, let us know about your decision. And we're gonna respond back to you via text and we're gonna get some information from you so that we can get some things in the mail to you and help you take the next step in your faith journey. And again, one of our team's gonna reach out to you and get connected with you and help you in your process. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for making the decision you made today. Pastor Kendall's gonna lead us in a final song. We're gonna worship one more time before we're dismissed. While we're singing this final song, some of our prayer team, some of our staff is gonna be available here at the front of this room. And we'd love to pray with you. No matter what your need may be today, we would be honored to pray with you about whatever it is. So please come find one of our team. Uh, even after we're dismissed in a moment, some of our team will be available. If you'd like to make your way forward, please do. But, uh, but yeah, we'd love to pray with you guys today. Stand to your feet. Let's worship one more time before we go today, guys. You should know by now, but I'm gonna say it anyway. I love you more than you know. And I am so glad that I get to be your pastor. God bless you guys. Have an awesome week.